Hello and welcome to the Toast Podcast with me, Laura Barton. For our second series, The Unknown Path, I'm meeting six different authors, actors and naturalists to discuss the various and often unexpected routes their lives have taken. It's raining when we reach Rivington Pike, the kind of early spring rain you often find in the north, grey and flat-skied and forbidding. Which is why Maxine Peake and I are sitting in a car in our waterproofs. Maxine is widely regarded as one of the finest actors of her generation, from her early roles in Shameless and Dinner Ladies to the more complex parts she has since chosen, including Hamlet, Myra Hindley and Winnie in Beckett's Happy Days. This morning as we walk close to her childhood home in Lancashire, and indeed near to where I grew up too, I want to hear from Maxine about the path that carried her from the local youth theatre to revered performer and her decision to return to live in the northwest. Do you want to tell us where we are and why we're here? Well, we're in a car park at the edge of Rivington, which is the West Pennines. I think it's the first part of call before you, you set off into the into the wilds of, of Rivy, as we know it. So we're, we're here because I spent a lot of time as a child. My grandparents, there's a council estate built on uh, the racetrack, supposedly, so it was in a crescent. So they lived on Old Lord's Crescent, and I used to spend all my weekends here. And this is where I learned to ride my bike with my granddad, who I did most things with. I think the important steps of my childhood and youth were usually made with my grandparents, but I used to love this bit because it reminds me very much of my granddad running up and down with his hand on the back of the bike going, no, I'm still holding on, I'm still holding on, when he obviously wasn't. And as soon as you turned around and noticed he wasn't, then you'd fall off. But Do you yeah. remember that feeling of first riding your bike unstabilised? Oh, yeah. You know, apart from the wobbling, but the sense of achievement, when the stabilisers came off, because they were always weren't they, stabilisers, one was always on the floor and one was always, I don't quite get that, one was always sort of a little bit in the air. But yeah, and then spending a lot of time on my bike up here, you know, as a teenager coming up. We're sort of sitting in a car park, surrounded by trees at the minute, sort of waiting for weather to clear so we can take Castro, your dog, for a walk. Yeah. Um, but there are all kinds of different parts to Rivington Pike, aren't there, if I remember, because I grew up not far from here. Yeah. There were sort of waterfalls, weren't there, that would freeze yes. in the wintertime. And were there well, it's Chinese the ja- Japanese, Japanese, gardens. Japanese gardens, which they're now doing a big overhaul. But I used to love going up there because they were the, we used to call it the secret garden. So mm. my great, because was, it was so overgrown, so there was a little passageway that my granddad used to go, come on. We had loads of little areas when I was growing up. We used to have the three pigs cottage, which wasn't. There was just a d- destroyed ruins of a cottage, and my granddad used to say that was one of the three pigs cottage. I love that cottage. So it was just where your imagination was encouraged. But yeah, the secret garden, going up towards the pike, and you'd nip through some bushes. It was quite tough going, and then there would be the pond, and the, all sort of overgrown and, and mossy. But yeah, it really encouraged me to use my imagination. And then up, up to the pike, and then the pigeon tower, and then ang- over to Angle's Ark. So yeah, like you said, there's lots of different little pockets, and the bottom barn there's no fancy tea room and the top barn where the bikers all went on oh, a Sunday yes I used to love them and then Phoebe Hesketh who was a poet used to live in Rivington Village and my nan used to clean from used to laugh because she did write a story about one of the cleaning women stealing for her from her and my nan was always really <laughs> concerned that people would think it was her <laughs> um, people don't when they think about the northwest, they don't think about this kind of landscape really do they they think about more the landscape of Manchester or yeah, wherever yeah. What about the sort of beautiful natural world do you like about this part of 
the country. I crave it. I crave to just come out. If everything's getting too much, I think, just go and take the dog for a good walk. And it seems to just put everything in perspective. But it is, it's the, it's the nature, it's the freedom, it's the people you meet. And you can go for, you can go for miles, you know, and there's always a nice little tea room. <laughs> I'm a big fan of a tea room. So there's always a, you know, a stop off point. You know, weekends it's packed and I used to get really annoyed about it and go, go away, this is mine. I think, no, actually, it's brilliant that people are still using their leisure time. They're coming to wander around the Japanese gardens and Lord Levy Hume's house, which was famously burnt down by suffragette and then rebuilt. I just think there's a lot of history. Yeah, I was going to say there's an awful lot of history. I mean, we're not even that far from the sort of witchcraft area, are we? Yeah, Pen- I mean, Pendle's just, yeah. You know, and it all sort of links up. Mm. And you've got, obviously, Winter Hill. I remember as a kid doing the trespass. Because, like Kinder Scout, we had the similar issues about people not being allowed, you know, freedom to roam. And I remember going on a trespass when I was probably about eight to nine. My mum was in the Rambling Association, so she used to drag me everywhere. Me moaning, going, I'm tired, as literally as soon as I started off. My boots are rubbing me. <laughs> the weather's uh, brightened up a little bit. Shall we head out? That'll be lovely. Are you ready, ready Castro? Castro? Yeah. He loves a squirrel, he's just off, that's the dog (laughs) off. He might not come back, but we'll just keep talking. Um, (laughs) Where do you normally take Castro for a walk? Usually on a Sunday, I'll come and see my dad. And then we go along it up to the folly, the folly of Liverpool Castle, and we walk up there. And I have fancies about doing an outdoor production of... Macbeth with all the, uh, you know, big flame torches. And then along and along the reservoir, and always we always check the level of the reservoir. I don't know why, it's just a, it's just a little thing. I always do, I always used to do my granddad. And then there's a little tea room. I just love tea rooms. Yeah. I'm already thinking of packing it all in and becoming a dog walker. So if you were to work in some kind of tea room element to your dog walking could, service. Yeah. I wonder, you could have like some sort of... I don't know, a little trolley and dogs. <laughs> I have high ambitions. When you were a kid here playing in Japanese gardens and letting your imagination run wild, did you at that point think you would end up where you are? No, I don't think so. I, I wanted to act, but I didn't know how to go about it. Yeah, I used to have visions. <laughs> Slightly romantic visions of me living in London, not working very much in a very rundown bedsit, but that seemed great. So I didn't know how it would go. I knew I had to do it. It's like a vocation, isn't it? You sort of have that. Well, I'm going to have to do it, even though people keep telling me I'm not very good at it. That really doesn't matter because I've got to do it. But I didn't know to what extent and whether I'd ever make any money out of it or, you know, be able to make a living from it. But I think it's like these places you come back and you just, well, they bring you right back to who who you are and there is something about nature isn't there that you know you do feel very small and insignificant within it so yeah always live in the north did you you went away and came back yeah no I went off to London for about 12 years but I remember getting really anxious because it was about not seeing any green or not seeing any dogs you didn't it's not like now everyone's got a dog in the city and obviously couldn't afford to go back every weekend you know but desperate to just get back and go and see some some stretch of green at some point. And is there a particular shade of green in this part of the world that you pine I for? It's the mixture, isn't it, of the mossy greens and the browns, I think I really... I like this time of year, or, you know, winter 
I suppose a crisp day with a little bit of sun. Here's a little bit of that famous wetness yeah. descending. <laughs> and when you're walking, if you're solo walking, are you quite often thinking about work? Are you working through ideas or...? Yeah, I used to do when I was younger. If I was having auditions, I used to, so if I had to learn things, I'd come out. I mean, I wouldn't walk up and down performing them, but, <laughs> but it was something about being out in the fresh air and walking. I found it easier to learn lines, things would go in, but I feel there's a calm, it gives me a calmness. <laughs> the route that you've taken work-wise has at times been surprising or you've made moves that might seem contrary to some people or bold moves what's been the sort of navigating factor for you in that I suppose I was always petrified of being typecast there's that thing of being from the north you know I'm going to say the word working class and I think a lot of people had an idea where my career would go where do you uh, think that was? Well, you know, I would go off and be a regular in a soap. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just too lazy. That looks like too much like hard work to me. Also, you've got to go to the TV award thing, the soap awards. Frocks you've got to, oh, you know, always having your legs waxed. and <laughs> It's too much for me. I suppose I wanted to do things that people go, oh, I didn't expect to do that. But then that's not a healthy, it's <laughs> not a healthy trajectory of your career to do things just to prove to other people. But, you know, that's like Greek chorus has, has muted slightly now. But I just want to keep it fresh, I suppose, and, and exciting. And, and I think as you get older, I really need a reason to do it. You know, it's why would I do this piece of work? It costs more as you get older to do. It's exposing, isn't it? And you're putting yourself out there and, and I think, right, I really need a good reason to, to make a fool of myself. <laughs> so why, why am I going to do it? So now do you get offered all kinds of roles or have you been typecast in a different way? Yeah, it became then everything. Weird, lots of strange pieces. I think they went, oh, this is quite a bit of an odd or she's quite complex or she's a, you know, a bit of a strange character. So I, I did have a quite a period where it would be anything yeah a little bit off the wall yes well after yeah after and it's just interesting you know up to play Myra Hindley I couldn't get anything serious really I was seen as a comedy actor and then after that I couldn't sort of get back into comedy really you know people forget quickly what you know if unless you balance it well enough but I didn't do probably quite good enough balancing act so I'm desperately now trying to you know, because, yeah, there's only so many tears you can shed. <laughs> you know, I want to do something funny now. <laughs> and in that, in that balance, is it also about stage and, and screen as well? Yeah, theatre's really important. That's where you learn and you continue to learn, I think, for me. And I find it easier because it feels more collaborative. I think my favourite mediums are theatre and then independent film because... You know, it's more about the artistic team. It's a, it does feel very much, a, yeah, like I say, a collaboration. Yeah, that's what I found I really enjoy. When you were walking around here when you were young, did was the aim to be on at the cinema, or were you thinking more theatre then? You know, when I was really young, I just wanted to be in a good advert. <laughs> There's still time, actually. I was thinking about it the other day. I just remember being a kid, do you remember... We want to be Smith's crisps, and there's all this the potatoes singing. And I just remember being younger, and they really, because that's what they're supposed to do, aren't they? We're doing the job really well. They really struck with me. So I just thought, oh, I'd like to be in an advert that maybe everyone talked about. <laughs> come on, Castro. Come on, come on, no, come on, good boy. <laughs> um, 
you've not been afraid as well to express your political views yes um, throughout your career is that something that was sort of sewn into you at an early age yeah and that came very much from my granddad but he was always very cautious of me being vocal about my politics I mean my granddad worked at Leila Motors you know his politics did end up sometimes terminating some of his contracts at work you know and but he was really passionate about it and I was just sort of so influenced and inspired by his passion and this was a man who had no ambition he thought ambition was a bit of a dirty word so I was always loath to tell him originally that I wanted to go into acting <laughs> no I've got another job but um, yeah, it was a big influence on me. And unfortunately, I think a big influence on me going to something creative, which my granddad really didn't want me to do. But, you know, he's always encouraging me about self-education and reading and, you know, knowledge is power. And so, yeah. You said about your mum and rambling and the right to roam. I mean, I remember seeing you in London on one of the yes. marches. And um, I guess what does walking, what does marching give politics? Well, it's, it's about, it's about, solidarity and it's about unity and it is about moving forward as a human it's our basic form of mobility isn't it to walk and it's celebrating that and that's in our power they didn't want the working people on you know and I love the fact that you know people did come back and reclaim the land you know working in factories all week and then coming out here rambling you know meeting reading poetry you know just really about this self-educate you know working class and educating yourself and the love of nature and how it feeds into politics it's all sort of lumped together with our humanity isn't it and what about the roles you've got coming up can you talk about those yes so i'm off to the barbican to do a play called avalanche which is a sort of a one-woman show uh, based on the memoirs of julia lee sort of yeah well memoir of her, of her journey through ivf it's about her relationships and her family and sort of what it means to be a woman in love and about loving ourselves and it's it's witty and it's dark and it's very poetic yeah when you're doing a one-woman show like with avalanches how does it feel to be on stage and carry that immense energy of the whole room. There is a pressure. <laughs> There's a pressure that if it all goes wrong, it's all down to you. And the fact that it's just you stood there and you think, will an audience, will they, will I hold their interest? Will I be enough for them to just listen? You know, that they will come with you wherever you go, that they don't get bored and go, right, I'm sick of listening to it. Um, at the moment, I'm excited. I don't think about things too much, else I wouldn't do them. <laughs> I just say yes and then forget about them till they actually happen. It's an intensely female story. Yes. I'm just wondering how, how differently you would approach that or feel about that to, say, playing Hamlet. You know, I always felt Hamlet was an intensely female story. <laughs> you know. I feel it suits a woman much better than it, <laughs> than it does a man. I still read things, scripts now, and go, why, couldn't, why can't I play that? I could play that part. It's a man's part. I could, I'd rather play him, actually. You know, it's, to me, it's the personality and it's the journey, and I don't really look at, at gender as such. I mean, this will, because this is about the physical element of being a female and your body and when you feel your body's let you down and, you know, and that journey, which is, can ultimately only be female. You know, I'm not saying that men can't be affected by it but yeah I mean you know I'm kind of because I suppose it'll take you places you know it's going to be one of those little but I suppose that's the thing about acting it's a bit of therapy at the same time you get sort of paid to stand in front of people and, and get get a lot of stuff out 
and I think you've got to go places when you're performing you know I think you've got to sort of try and unearth a little bit of your soul for people because I think that's where they make the connect you know people will connect then is there always a moment in preparing a play or or any kind of work where you find that spot yeah I do it every time the first sort of two weeks into rehearsal I go I can't do this I don't really it's not coming but there's a moment when you just feel the key sort of turn and sometimes you do you feel like you're in a bumper car and you're constantly banging into you know you're just not getting somewhere and I think lots of directors going oh my god she's never going to get there (laughs) what are we doing and then it's yeah it's usually the last minute I go all right it's here but everything has to sort of pile up and then settle down for me you do you just have to trust don't you you just have to go you know what I've just got to keep going till it does and it will at some point (laughs) you said about your granddad tried to discourage you from uh, pursuing a creative career because he was concerned for you did he go on to see your success did he see your happiness and, and how much reward you got for doing what you loved yeah, he did. He did. And, um, you know, we don't come from a family that, you know, we'll, we'll be tired of telling everybody they're doing well. But you know, don't you? And he was proud of me. He used to say things like, oh, can you not do a part where you smile more? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and some of the roles, he was a bit, you know, a little bit risque for him. <laughs> and I go, don't watch, Grandad, don't watch this one. Um, but, yeah, no, he was. And, and a lot of the stuff I did, I remember I did a play called Loyalty at Hampstead, written by Sarah Helm, and it was about weapons of mass destruction and Tony Blow and I remember him coming to see that and he was so proud and he was, he'd not been very well and he'd got all the, the trains had been cancelled and he had to go from Leeds and he came to the matinee and they actually held the show for him like 10 minutes so he could get settled and, and when I did things like that he you know because he wanted to talk about it he was so always constant and my dad at 8 to 5 but he was always learning he never sat on his, his laurels you know and things he could talk constantly sort of talk about so I love that feeling when I did something that he got a really a real enthusiasm for to to have sort of discussions with but yeah he he, he did he, he did but they would never say oh you've done really well because i think people think then you curse you curse it i think they don't my family don't think i'm doing very well but i think they may feel that they're showing off as well you know my dad always says i don't know how you do it and that's the biggest compliment he gives me he'll just go oh i don't know you do that but i that's enough but no i think he was i mean he passed away four years ago now so everything was, you know, all right. But he's still always worried that it might stop. So he was always, you know, watch your money and have you saved and have you put your tax money away and have you done this and have you done... So, yeah. Do you feel safe now? Do you feel, however precarious your industry is, that you're in a good place? Um, Not to ask you to curse yourself. Yeah, no. I, I suppose there's a point that you you have to remind yourself, you think, I'm all right for a bit. But you do wonder, you start to think, when when is it that people just go, oh, who who they just move on new faces you get to an age when you're not I mean ironically I think I've done more because I've got older and there was I was give this big warning once you hit 40 your career you know it's on a spiral but I never had that you know I was never the young ingenue or the hot young thing you know I sort of did dinner ladies and then I sort of struggled for a bit and yeah I don't know you just got to take each year as it comes really you know and then hopefully get enough to be able to put a deposit down on a tea room <laughs> you've been listening to the toast podcast with me laura barton the producer is jeff bird and the series was conceived by emily mears 
You can subscribe to the Toast Podcast via your usual podcast provider or listen on Toast Magazine, which can be found via the Toast website, www.toa.st. Our third series will be launching in autumn.